Several years ago, before Angela and I got married, actually before we were even engaged, we participated in the very exciting and yet somewhat awkward activity of going window shopping for an engagement ring or wedding rings. And I'd take Angela to the mall and we'd explore the jewelry stores together. And it seems like every store you walk into when you're doing this, the salespeople are itching to help you. They jump right up. Can I help you find something? What are you looking for today? We'd say, well, we're looking for wedding rings. And you can almost see the dollar signs flashing in their eyes. (laughs) But we knew we were looking for a ring or rings of some sort. We didn't have any particular style of ring in mind as we shopped. And as you go into these stores and you see all the options, the vast array of options available to you, it can be quite overwhelming. It can even be overwhelming for your pocketbook, too. But we had the idea that as we go shopping, we will recognize the rings for us when we see them. Once we see them, we'll know that's the one for us. I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, but I know, I'll know it once I see it. We say things like that, like, I'll recognize it when I see it, or I'll know what I'm looking for once I see it, when we are searching for something or trying to find something, and we trust our sense of recognition or intuition or spontaneity to do the job for us. We sometimes shop for a new home this way. Think, I want to walk in the door of the house and just know that this is the house for us. Or we might think about that way when we're searching for a mate. Say, I'll know he's the one for me when I see him. Doesn't work so well all the time. (laughs) This is also what we're thinking on a much more trivial way of when we flip through TV channels. Sitting there, flipping through, thinking, I don't know what I want to watch, but I know, I'll know it once I see it. Today, I want to introduce you to a biblical character named Simeon. Simeon was an older man living in Jerusalem around the time of Jesus' birth. And Simeon was known as a man who was searching for and waiting for something. He was anxiously anticipating, expecting, and looking for a Messiah. For a Messiah. Someone who God would send to save his people from oppression. I like to imagine Simeon as this old man looking for the Messiah, sitting in the temple courts watching as young mothers would bring their children to be dedicated to the Lord and thinking, maybe, maybe that baby is the one God has sent. Maybe today I'll get to see the Messiah. I'm sure he must have been asked as he waited for years for this Messiah, he must have been asked countless times by people around him, Simeon, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? What are you waiting for? And I'm sure he must have responded, well, I know that I'm looking for a man who God has chosen. I know that, but I don't know what he'll look like. I don't know who his parents will be. I don't know what his personality will be like or what he'll be wearing. But when I see him, I'll know him. When I see him, I'll know him. Simeon trusted that God would show him who the Messiah was. And as we'll see later in this story, he had good reason to, to trust God for this. Now, I want to introduce Simeon to you today, not because of who Simeon was, 
But I want to introduce Simeon to you because of who he was searching for. See, the baby that Simeon anxiously awaited was going to shake the world. He is going to change history, even to this day. The passage we're going to read today somewhat focuses on Simeon, but really, he's a secondary character. Because Simeon himself focused on a little baby he found with the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, you can take the Pew Bible in front of you, and it's on page 857. Luke chapter 2, and we'll be beginning in verse 21 of chapter 2 today. It's uh, week 2 of what promises to be a somewhat long sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And, but it also promises to be a very rewarding and refreshing study of Jesus. The author of this book, Luke, was a doctor-turned-missionary from Antioch in Syria. And last week, just to sum up for you, we read Luke's introduction and dedication to this book that he wrote. And we saw that Luke wrote what he did so that we, so that all believers, could have absolute certainty of what we believe. Absolutely certain of what we believe. What we believe about Jesus, and what we believe about what Jesus accomplished in his time on earth. Luke wrote so that we could have a stronger faith, a firmer belief, and a bolder witness for Christ. As we begin, I'd like to pray for us, that we would see Jesus today through these pages. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you today as we come to your word, that you would open our eyes to your truth, open our hearts to receive it. I pray that your spirit would come and be working on each one of us, that we would see what we each personally need to see in these pages today, whether that be conviction or encouragement and everything in between. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. When we come to Luke chapter 2, in the middle of the chapter, the Christmas story had just happened. Jesus had been born in Bethlehem to his mother Mary and his earthly father Joseph. The angels had sung over Bethlehem, over the shepherds, and sung that a Savior had been born. The Savior that Israel had been waiting for for centuries. We come to verse 21, and it transitions from the stable in Bethlehem to several days later, and it says this, And at the end of eight days, so when Jesus was eight days old, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Jesus underwent the traditional Jewish circumcision and was officially given his name. Verse 22 skips ahead again to a few week, more weeks later, when Jesus would have been 40 days old. And it says this, And when the time came... For their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The Jewish law in Leviticus 12 said that a woman was unclean for 40 days after childbirth. So once they gave birth to a baby, they were unclean. 
and they had to be purified by doing a sacrifice. So they were going to Jerusalem so Mary could be purified at the end of this time by offering a sacrifice as the law demanded. These verses reveal a few things to us, though. First of all, they reveal that Joseph and Mary were not wealthy people. Because for this ceremony that they were going to do, a woman was supposed to come and sacrifice a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. But if you couldn't afford the lamb, then you were allowed to bring two birds, which is what Mary and Joseph do here. And this illustrates, the, once again, the humble lifestyle that Jesus was born into. The majestic king of heaven born into a poor family's household. Mary's purification was not the only reason they were going to the temple, though. They were also going to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. As it said in verse 22, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him or to dedicate him to the Lord. This was to obey the command God gave the Israelites in Exodus 13, which said, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. Every firstborn boy in Israel was given a special ceremony of consecration. The other thing this passage reveals to us is that Jesus' earthly family was quite pious and faithful in keeping the law. Jesus was born as a child under the Jewish law, just like we read later in Galatians 4, which tells us, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Little did they know that this little baby who was being raised under the law would one day fulfill the law, removing the burden to live under it. They didn't know that yet. We're officially introduced to Simeon in verse 25, where it says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him in a special way. So not only was he a righteous and a devout man, God's Spirit was on him powerfully, much like a prophet would have had the Holy Spirit on him in the Old Testament. Earlier, I said that Simeon was waiting and searching for a Messiah. But you might have noticed what it says Simeon was waiting for here. It says, verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. That's a mouthful. What's the consolation of Israel? Well, the consolation or comfort some versions say the consolation of Israel was part of the hope for a Messiah to come. It was combined with that. The Jews often even called the Messiah the Menahem, which means comforter. So they expected this Messiah to come and comfort them. The idea behind this was that if Israel was suffering under another nation, they were it was like they were in mourning or they were weeping or crying under oppression. And so they were awaiting being comforted by God. This idea is seen through the prophets in places like Isaiah 61, which Jesus actually later quotes as directly speaking about him. 
says this in Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. So this was what the Messiah was expected to do. Luke is going to provide one other note of context for us, which explains why Simeon waited. Why did Simeon trust God so much that he would find the Messiah one day? Verse 26 says, And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The title Christ there is the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew term Messiah. So he's waiting to see the Christ or the Messiah. In one way or another, perhaps by a vision or by an angel, the Holy Spirit had told Simeon personally that he would see the Messiah in his lifetime. Before he died, he'd get to see the Messiah. He is the only person we know of that got this guarantee. And we don't know why God decided to reveal it to him, but it was gracious that he did so reveal this to Simeon. And this is why he patiently waited and searched for Messiah. He knew for a fact he was coming. And the older he got, the closer he knew the Messiah was to coming. Now is when Joseph, Mary, and Jesus enter the scene. In verse 27, it's talking about Simeon, and Simeon came in the spirit into the temple And when the parents, speaking of Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. We'll stop there. As a recently new parent, I can't imagine what Joseph and Mary must have been thinking as this happened. Unless they knew about Simeon before, which I would think is unlikely, it must have weirded them out big time to have this random old guy come up and grab their baby. (laughs) I think I would have been shocked, maybe a bit angry, definitely creeped out by this happening. But it quickly became clear that Simeon meant them and Jesus no harm. Instead, Simeon was actually honoring them and their baby. You might wonder, how did Simeon recognize Jesus as the Messiah here? Well, he knew him, like we said earlier, he knew him once he saw him. It was his intuition. But, it was intuition guided completely by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 27 that Simeon came in the Spirit to the temple. And that's when he found Christ. God, as the Holy Spirit, was guiding Simeon directly to Jesus. And once Simeon took Jesus into his arms, he broke into praise of God. Verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Israel. His words here very well could have been sung. They're like musical lyrics, poetic. 
And what Simeon says here reveals some very important things about the baby he held, about Jesus. Remember, we're here to study Jesus, to get to know him better. And everything in this story really revolves around Jesus and what Jesus did with salvation. The first thing we learn here, and if you want to fill in your notes, you can, is this, that Jesus made God's salvation visible. In Jesus, God's salvation became visible even to our physical eyes. Simeon first said that he was okay with dying now, in verse 29, because God had kept his promise. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. How did God keep his word? By letting him see Jesus. Earlier, you remember, it had said in verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And now Simeon proclaimed, You're letting me depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. We'll stop there, mid-sentence on him. You know what a sentinel is? That word make any sense to you? A sentinel? Today, a sentinel's job really has become extinct because of many things, things like doorbells or security cameras or cell phones or alarm systems that notify us of things in advance. Okay, that was really the job of a sentinel, to notify of things in advance. They were basically a lookout, diligently watching for something that was expected. So a king might have posted a sentinel to watch for an invading army's approach. And as soon as he saw that army coming, he'd run off and raise the alarm to warn everyone. Or with a more peaceful purpose, a a sentinel might have been posted to watch for invited guests. So a host would know exactly when to expect company. And as soon as the sentinel notified their master about what was coming, their job was done. Their sole purpose was to either raise the alarm or to deliver good news. And Simeon was being used by God here, I believe, very much like a sentinel. He was patiently waiting and on the lookout for the expected Messiah. And as soon as he saw the Messiah, he was to proclaim the good news, and then his job was done. Really, he was... Fulfilling his life's purpose on that one day. Waiting for the Messiah. Now earlier it had said that he was watching for this Christ. But here he said, My eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon equated seeing the Christ with seeing salvation. They were one and the same. We probably should start by asking the question, just in case you don't know, what is God's salvation? What is salvation? Salvation is the act of saving someone from a potential danger or harm. It can be a physical, physical salvation, such as God providing salvation from enemies or war or sickness, Him bringing safety or deliverance, healing, comfort or peace. Often, the Jews misplaced their hopes in a physical salvation Messiah. 
But notice, as Simeon talks here, that he never mentions a physical salvation, even from the Roman oppression going on. Seems like Simeon must have had a better expectation than most Jews of his day. He realized that God's salvation was much greater than they anticipated. See, the Bible most often uses salvation in a spiritual sense, in a greater sense, because there are spiritual dangers that everyone on earth faces. We all face the danger of sin, the wrong things we do against God, and the effects and the punishment of sin pose great harm to us. Because of sin, we face the danger of death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal separation from God. When Scripture speaks of God's salvation, it often refers to God's salvation from sin and from death. And that's how we should be seen here in Simeon's praise. And when Simeon says he saw Jesus, he saw salvation incarnate. Jesus literally made God's salvation visible, could see it. Once Simeon saw Jesus come as Savior, says he was ready to die. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. We don't know whether or not he died soon after this. But here's the point. If you see Jesus as your Savior in faith, if you see Jesus as your Savior, you too are ready to die. You know that? doesn't matter if you're 15 or 50 or 95, you are prepared for death. Whenever it happens, if you see Jesus as your Savior. Now, earlier we stopped mid-sentence. Let's continue and look at the second half of Simeon's sentence, because this is equally important, especially for most of us today. It says again, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What we learn from the second half of Simeon's song-like prayer here is this. Jesus made God's salvation available to all. Through Jesus, God's salvation became open and available to everyone on earth. First, we see that the salvation was prepared in view of everyone. Verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. It, was per, it wasn't purposely hidden from anyone. God wants everyone to see it. God's salvation was intended for all peoples, male or female, noble or innoble, young or old, rich or poor, slave or free. It was also intended for both Jews and Gentiles. Did you see that? My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. This would have been quite shocking for some Jews. Most Jewish people were expecting a Messiah 
for the Jews. A savior for the Jews. A king for the Jews. There were hints in the Old Testament of salvation becoming openly available for everyone. But many Jews missed the hints, or they chose to ignore them. Simeon didn't miss them. He knew that Jesus was going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. At night, when you walk into a dark room, what's the first thing you do? Flick on the lights, right? Why? Because you need light in order to see. Our sense of sight is completely dependent on the light that is around us. It's much more difficult to see what you're looking for without light, or you can't see what you're trying to see without some kind of light, no matter how dim. It's impossible to read a book or a newspaper or magazine without a light source. Electronics, computers or tablets or cell phones or TVs or Kindles or iPods are all dependent. They would be useless without a backlight. Imagine how hard it would be to cook or to build or to clean, to write or to sew or to type or doing anything without light. It would be basically impossible. Well, Simeon says here that Jesus was the light to the Gentiles so that they could see. So that they could see. So they could see what? A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. But it says a light for revelation. Revelation. In other words, so Gentiles could see God's revealing of his salvation to mankind. He was the light to see that. You might also wonder, what are Gentiles? Who are they? Very easy. Gentiles are anyone who wasn't a Jew. So, Jesus made God's salvation visible and available to Canadians, to Americans. He made salvation available to Filipinos, and to Chinese, and to Indians, and to Asians, and to Europeans, and to Arabs. He made salvation available to Africans, and Mexicans, and Latinos, and people from the islands. Everyone on earth, the salvation is now available to. This is good news for us. Jesus has turned on the lights for us. We can all now see him and the way to get to God. The way to be saved. We see that God didn't abandon Israel at this point either, who had been his people for centuries. While Jesus was a light for the whole world, he was intended to bring glory to Israel. See that light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What does it mean that Jesus was the nation of Israel's glory? Well, a good example of this would be the Olympics that are going on right now. When an Olympian does well for their country, they bring a form of glory to their nation. The Americans are proud to call Michael Phelps or or Ryan Lochte their own. We Canadians are very proud of our eight-person rowing teams that took home silver medals, or more proud of Rosie McLennan, our first gold medalist yesterday. We even 
sometimes try to take credit for other nations' gold medals. Think of uh, earlier when we tried to brag about one of the U.S.'s gold medalists that had Canadian parents. <laughs> well, I guess we got to try to get what we can take, right? <laughs> but whenever an Olympian brings home a medal, you can say that they are their nation's glory to an extent. They are the best of the best from their home country who did them proud. Well, Jesus is the best human being to ever come out of Israel. Certainly the most famous. But more than that, he's the most powerful, the most honorable, and the most humble. He's the best teacher, the best leader, the best revolutionary, the best peacemaker, the best potential ruler. He should be Israel's glory. And I'd add he will be in eternity. He'll be worshipped as the Lion of Judah, the King of Israel. However, today... It's sadly a different story. Most of Israel does not consider Jesus their glory. They're instead ashamed of him. They've rejected or disowned what would be their greatest glory. Yes, there are some Jewish people who have recognized that Jesus was their Messiah and they've embraced him wholeheartedly. But they're in the minority. This rejection began happening in Jesus' day, and it continues to this day. Now, this should be no surprise, considering what Simeon said next. See, after he praised God for what he had done, he turned to Jesus' parents, and he made quite the sobering prophecy to them. Verse 33, it says, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, so they were amazed at who Simeon said Jesus would become. But Simeon's next words were ominous. In verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Even though God's salvation is now available to all, not all people will be saved through him. And that's because Jesus made God's salvation disruptive, and divisive. Jesus made God's salvation disruptive and divisive. He disrupted the status quo. Things changed under Jesus. And these changes would cause some people to fall and some people to rise. It says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Jesus was destined to cause the rise or fall of many people. There could be no more straddling the fence or going through the motions. You had to either accept Jesus or reject him. There was no in-between. And the same goes today. You have to either accept Jesus or reject him. There's no in-between. It's nice to think of Jesus as a 
peaceable, undisruptive, good teacher. But when Jesus came, he created division. He was either Lord or he wasn't Lord. You couldn't live for Jesus and still live for the law. You couldn't live for Jesus and live for the world. You couldn't live for Jesus and live for pleasure or anything else. Some people worshipped him, others crucified him. Families and synagogues were torn apart based on Jesus. Israel would never be the same. And the world would never be the same. It's like Jesus introduced a fork in the road for all humanity. You can either choose to go the way that most people were going, or you could take Jesus' narrow road, which promised trouble and trials. This fork in the road still exists today. Have you chosen which way you're going? Choosing to go Jesus' path may put you on a divergent path from your friends or family. Because Jesus' salvation can and does divide. But it's a good disruption and division that it causes. It's a needed one. And it rises. It makes people rise up. It brings them joy. Verse 34 in the New Living Translation says, This child will be rejected by many in Israel, and it will be their undoing, but he will be the greatest joy to many others. Unfortunately, most people will choose the path of rejecting Jesus. And Simeon foresaw that this would happen. In verse 34, said, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. This is the first hint in Luke that not all would be rosy for Jesus in his lifetime. It wasn't all going to be good. Jesus would become a sign that was opposed. Ultimately, that opposition even led to his execution by crucifixion. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is truly the crossroad where people either rise or they fall. In this passage... If you skip over the parentheses in verse 35 for a second, this is what Simeon says. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Daryl Bach describes what it means that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. He says this, Jesus' ministry shows where hearts really are before God. Jesus will expose those who do not believe. He is a litmus test for people's responses to the fulfillment of God's promise. Do they believe it or not? I need to ask you today. What about you? 
Do you believe it or not? Has Jesus saved you yet? He's made salvation available and visible to you, but have you responded? Have you accepted it? Or have you chosen to go the opposite way? As long as you're alive, it's not too late for you. As you see Jesus' salvation, as you see salvation in Jesus today, don't oppose it. Don't reject it. Don't try to add to it. Repent of your sins. Give your life to Him. Trusting in Him to save you. And He will. He's made it available to you. Now, if you were a new parent... Simeon's words would not be the type of thing you'd want to hear about your little little boy. That your baby would become disruptive and divisive, and that he'd be viciously opposed. Who would ever oppose this little precious baby? But then the news got even worse when Simeon told Mary, and this is in the parentheses in verse 35, and he tells Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The soul was believed to be the seed of emotions. So this is saying that Jesus would cause Mary deep emotional pain. And approximately 33 years later, as, Jesus, as her son was hanging on a cross, Mary was there. And this came to pass. Well, Simeon sang praise and made his prophecy here. Another individual in the temple courts overheard him and realized what was going on and decided to join the party, so to speak. Verse 36 says this, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So here we meet an old woman named Anna who basically lived at the temple. She had been widowed at an early age and had never remarried, but ever since then had spent most of her time worshiping, fasting, and praying. No wonder she was quick to realize what was happening. She was quick on the uptake. God wanted to reveal this to her too. And in verse 38, we see how Anna responded to Jesus. It says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In Anna's response, we see one final application, which as it's really exemplary for all followers of Christ. And that's this. Because... Of Jesus, God's salvation should be praised and proclaimed. Because of Jesus, God's salvation should be praised and proclaimed to others. We see this blatantly in the two ways Anna responded. In verse 38, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
Redemption is another word that's related to salvation. Because of salvation, we have been redeemed or bought back from darkness. But Anna did what all believers should do after experiencing God's salvation. Once we see it, first she praised. She began to give thanks to God. And then she proclaimed. She began to speak of him to all who were waiting. Her worship and her witness were working together to bring glory to God. And if you have been saved by God through Jesus, this is your calling as well. You know that? It's to worship and to witness. Do you worship God because of his salvation? Do you praise him at every chance you get? At church, at home, wherever? Do you talk up God to those around you? Do you sing about Him? Do you consciously thank Him? If not, why not? Are you actually saved? Or are you just not grateful? We should all be very grateful, eternally grateful. For what Jesus has done for us. And the second part of the application, do you tell others about that salvation that is available in Jesus? Do you help see them, you know, or help them see the light that Jesus has shone into their hearts? Do you tell them about what Jesus did to love them and to save them? Do you stand at the crossroads guiding others to Jesus? Simeon and Anna recognized salvation when they saw it. They knew it was him. And the question for us today is, do we recognize salvation when we see it? When you think of Jesus, do you see a nice moral teacher, a revolutionary zealot, maybe an outdated historical figure, or maybe your parents' God, but not yours? Or do we see salvation in Jesus? Do we see Jesus as our Savior? Do our eyes recognize God's salvation as visibly and vividly displayed in Christ? God has given us a similar grace as he did to Simeon and to Anna, that we can see that God's salvation has come. And even though we don't physically see them in front of us like they did, really, we see much more than they saw. We see more clearly. See, they only saw the very first stages of God's salvation come to earth. We know the rest of the story. The light for the Gentiles has revealed God's salvation to us today. Do you see it? See, Jesus not only did all these things about or to salvation. Jesus is God's salvation. He is the way to God. All those things on your notes about God's salvation could describe Jesus himself. Jesus made himself visible. He made himself available to all. He himself was disruptive and divisive. And Jesus himself today, all 
and forever should be praised and proclaimed by us. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray once again that we would see you. But not just that we would see you, but we would see you for who you really are. As the Son of God sent to save us. We thank you for coming. We thank you for dying. We thank you for rising from the dead. Help us to never forget what you have done for us. Every day for the rest of our lives, help us be proclaiming this and praising you for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How this passage ends is really like a little epilogue. It's a transition to the next stage of Jesus' life as the story continues in verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, And the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This special baby became a special child, became a special man. And the favor or the grace of God was upon him strongly for his entire life. 